Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we discuss cases that involve corruption and negligence from the people that we are expected to trust. These cases range from the police ignoring protocols to corporation placing people's lives in jeopardy in order to maximize profit. Today, I'm drinking a Bahama Mama. How about you, Jenny? I have some Blackberry moonshine with me tonight. Rebecca Coriam was born on March 11, 1987 in Chester, England to parents Mike and Anna Maria Coriam. She had a sister and two foster brothers. Rebecca worked at the Chester Zoo and joined the British Army cadets as a teenager. She attended Plymouth University, where she studied sports science, and Liverpool Hope University, where she studied youth studies. After college, Rebecca came to the U.S. to work for Camp America, which is a cultural exchange summer camp. Rebecca, or Bex as she was known to friends, was bubbly, mischievous, athletic, and fun to be around. In June 2010, Rebecca interviewed in London for a position with Disney Cruise Lines. She got the job and began working as a youth activity worker aboard the Disney Wondership that same month. Some have said this was her dream job. She completed four days of training in Walt Disney World in Orlando before setting sail. The ship had 11 decks and could hold 2,400 passengers and 950 crew members. Crew members generally worked six to seven days a week for either four, six, or eight-month stretches and would get eight weeks of shore leave. In early 2011, Rebecca returned home for two weeks to attend her grandfather's funeral. While home, her friends alleged that Rebecca told them she was afraid of being sexually assaulted or raped while on board. Rebecca returned to work, and on March 21st, the Disney Wonder left its port in Los Angeles for a Mexican Riviera journey with stops in Puerto Vallarta and Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. Rebecca had sent a Facebook message to her mom saying she'd call her the next day, and Facebook was generally how she kept in touch with her family while she was away. The following morning, Rebecca did not show up for work, and her friends and co-workers reported her missing. Crew members searched the ship and sent a message out over the loudspeaker, but found no signs of Rebecca. Passengers were also alerted to the missing crew member. CCTV footage was found of Rebecca at 5.45 a.m. the morning of March 22nd. The video hasn't been made public. There are still photos from the recording, but it shows Rebecca speaking to someone on the ship's internal phone, wearing men's pajamas and appearing emotionally distressed. At one point, a male crew member comes by and asks her if she's all right. It appears Rebecca replies yes or that she's fine. She then runs her hands through her hair and walks out of frame. This footage would be the last sighting of Rebecca. Unfortunately, Disney claims there is no recorded audio from either the video or the phone call. And according to Disney, no other CCTV footage exists. The United States Coast Guard and Mexican Navy did a search of the water the ship had sailed through but found nothing. Neither agency was involved in the official investigation. Since the ship was registered in the Bahamas, the investigation fell under their jurisdiction. Superintendent Paul Rule of the Royal Bahamian Police Force was flown out from the Bahamas to L.A. to investigate once the ship had returned to the port. He was the sole investigator for this case. Rolls spent 
24 to 37 hours aboard the Wonder and collected no forensic evidence. He interviewed only six crew members and no passengers. Rebecca's family was flown out to LA as well on March 25th. As passengers disembarked, the Coriums were put in a room with Disney executives as well as the girl Rebecca had spoken to on the phone in that CCTV footage. They claimed they were so jet lagged and sleep deprived that they didn't think to ask the girl what she had spoken to Rebecca about or why she was upset and they were focused on getting out of the meeting so that they could speak with passengers. They also met with the ship's captain and role and viewed the CCTV footage of Rebecca on the phone. Disney's official explanation to the Koreans was that Rebecca was likely on the bow of the ship on deck five, which held the crew pool and lounge and was swept overboard by a rogue wave between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. And Roll determined no foul play was involved in Rebecca's disappearance. The Koreans visited Rebecca's room to collect her belongings and found Rebecca's favorite pair of shorts with the rip in the crotch as well as a pair of sandals that were alleged to have been found on deck five and believed to be Rebecca's. However, both Rebecca's family and friends said that the sandals were not Rebecca's size, not her style, and even had a different crew member's name and cabin number on the side. The Koreans felt the sandals had been planted there by Disney. That's where the official investigation ended. They met with Roll just once and was left unsatisfied and full of questions. Rebecca's father claimed that whenever they called Disney, their response would always be, quote, it's an ongoing investigation. They never received a completed report from Roll or Disney, and they weren't allowed a follow-up meeting to ask more questions of Disney and the crew members. United Kingdom authorities have since received the report, but refused to turn it over to the Coriums due to restricted personal details. In May of 2011, the Coriums received a call from Rebecca's bank stating a transaction occurred on her credit card. This particular credit card was not found with Rebecca's belongings in her cabin. However, this did not go anywhere since the credit card company did not share what the transaction was with Rebecca's family. Then, Rebecca's uncle noticed her Facebook password had been changed. This password change has never been explained. Almost a year after Rebecca's disappearance, a woman reached out to Rebecca's family saying that she had seen Rebecca with a dark-haired man in Venice, Italy, and she was 85% sure it was Rebecca. Rebecca's uncle felt this woman was credible, but this tip also went nowhere. In October 2011, John Ronson, a reporter from the UK news outlet The Guardian, booked a trip on the same Mexican Riviera route of the Disney Wonder to conduct his own investigation. Ronson interviewed many crew members who generally told him Rebecca fell overboard, which is exactly what Disney had theorized. Several crew members who knew her said she wasn't emotional and actually quite happy. However, he spoke to an anonymous worker who said, quote, Disney knows exactly what happened. That phone call she had, it was taped. Everything here is taped. There's CCTV everywhere. Disney has the tape, end quote. Another co-worker and friend of Rebecca said he didn't know what was on the phone call, but he knew she was having a fight with her partner and stated Rebecca was a lovely girl with underlying sadness. Ronson explored every public part of the ship and felt that if Rebecca had fallen overboard, the only place that could have happened was Deck 4's jogging track. This was due in part to the railings on every other deck being too high. 
Bronson theorized that after the 5.45 a.m. phone call, Rebecca went for a run and slipped. In his report, he also noted at least four security cameras on this deck. But when he asked a crew member about this, they replied she fell from the starboard side of Deck 5 and that he was on board the ship at the time of Rebecca's disappearance. The staffer also claimed Rebecca's slipper was found and that Ronson could get a look at the pool from Deck 10. He followed suit and saw the crew pool and the over six-foot-high walls surrounding the deck. Because of this, Bronson felt there was no way someone could accidentally fall from Deck 5. Rebecca's family also agreed and said they felt pressured by Disney to accept this as truth. Bronson was never able to get in touch with Roll, but a spokesperson from Disney did tell him they wish they knew what had happened to Rebecca and that the investigation is ongoing. On his return home, he received a call from a woman named Melissa. Melissa, a close co-worker friend of Rebecca's, was asked by the Coriums to speak with Ronson. She told him she last spoke to Rebecca at 11 p.m. on the night of her disappearance. They were hanging out after work in a secret staff corridor, and Rebecca asked if she'd be going to the crew bar, and that was the last she had seen of her. When asked about Rebecca fighting with her partner, Melissa said, quote, Yes, she was in a relationship, and there were problems, and it was upsetting her. It was a very, very intense relationship. It was great, and then it was awful. They were both fiery, passionate personalities, end quote. She also noted rumors that ran rampant amongst crew members and that she couldn't think of any reason why Rebecca would be running around upset, but did mention she heard Rebecca was on the phone with a mutual friend and not her partner. Melissa also told Ronson how Disney held a small memorial ceremony on the Deck 5 crew lounge where the sandals had been found, and that they refused to answer questions. She said she didn't understand why Disney didn't go to one of Rebecca's friends to identify the sandal, and further said, quote, Disney swear they've told us everything they know, which is that they don't know anything, but most of us think bullshit. Someone must know something. Someone's covering something up, end quote. Melissa believes if a cover-up did take place, it was to save the brand image because security wasn't doing their job of watching the deck. Rebecca's partner everyone mentioned was American Tracy Metley. Six years after Rebecca's disappearance, Tracy came forward to share her side of the story. She told media outlets that Rebecca was troubled and used drugs to cope with trauma from a sexual assault and not being accepted by her family because of her sexuality. This specific claim her family denies. She went on to say that the Koreans needed someone to blame because they couldn't accept that Rebecca died from suicide. Tracy says the pair became inseparable after meeting at a crew party in 2010 where they flirted all night. She said, quote, Rebecca walked me through a lot of feelings about my sexuality. When we took things to the next level, it felt right. We were madly in love, end quote. She also described their relationship as wild, fun, and passionately intense, but admitted Rebecca was frustrated by her lack of serious commitment and accused Tracy of using her. When they met, Tracy was in a relationship with Devin Hyde. Hyde was a bartender on the ship, and he was much older than both Tracy and Rebecca and on shore leave when the woman's relationship began. Upon his return, Tracy resumed her relationship with Hyde and Rebecca was devastated. Tracy alleges that on March 20th, the night before the cruise left port, Rebecca began banging her head on the ship walls and screaming out of anger towards her and that it took four crew members to calm Rebecca. 
She claims that during the night, Rebecca woke her up and told her that she tried to jump off the ship, but was too weak to go through with it and felt like a failure. She notes that Rebecca was depressed in the two weeks leading up to her disappearance. The following is Tracy's account of her last hours with Rebecca. Rebecca had drinks with Tracy and Devin in a crew bar. At least one other eyewitness can corroborate seeing Rebecca at the bar and said she looked happy. The crew went to Devin's cabin and had a threesome that Rebecca initiated. Rebecca and Devin went into the bathroom together and he started fooling around with Tracy. Rebecca became visibly uncomfortable and later took a shower. Tracy then fell asleep but was awoken by Rebecca saying they should leave. Tracy didn't want to leave but Rebecca said she was going on a walk and would be back. Tracy told Devin to give Rebecca clothes to wear and had him leave the door unlocked so she could return. When she woke up the next morning and saw the door was still unlocked, she panicked and felt something wasn't right. She said, quote, I never did anything to physically harm Rebecca. My gut tells me she jumped only because there was previous attempts, end quote. She claims to have given a full statement that was passed to roll and spoke with Rebecca's parents. Tracy said she finally came forward to clear her name and that she was silent so long in order to protect her friend and first love who she was never able to mourn. Tracy is now married with a daughter and Hyde has never shared his side of the story. In 2013, the Koreans sued Disney for $75,000. They settled out of court for an undisclosed amount in 2015. As part of the settlement, the Koreans had to stop speaking publicly about the case. Videos on the Find Rebecca Korean website were taken down and at this point, the website as a whole no longer exists. No recent updates on Rebecca's disappearance have been made. Before we get into our theories and discussion, we need to give our You Done Good Award to John Ronson of The Guardian for doing his own investigation and supporting the Corium family. There are several theories about what happened to Rebecca. Please note that these theories are speculation and we may never know what happened to her. Disney's official explanation is that Rebecca was swept overboard to her death due to a rogue wave. While this could have happened, Rogue waves often cause damage, leave excess water on board, and create loud noise that would have definitely awoken someone on board. There were no reports from crew or passengers of any of the above. Further, the deck that Rebecca was allegedly on at the time of her death had a wall that was over six feet high, making it unlikely a person could have been swept up. Reports on the weather the night Rebecca went missing vary. An analysis showed that waters were calm and no bad weather was present around the time of her disappearance. But a crew member Ronson interviewed said, quote, I was on the ship that day. It was a rocky day, end quote. He also shared a story about a time the deck by the crew pool was very windy and slippery and someone was walking there. He said a friend of his was called to get that person inside and that Disney took it very seriously and the worker was sent home for this behavior. Tracy Medley thinks this story from Disney is BS, but Rebecca's friend Melissa thinks something similar could be the case. She said that Rebecca loved Deck 5 and it was always where she wanted to go, and she bets that Rebecca climbed onto the wall and sat on the ledge in a, quote, I need to feel like I'm off the ship for a second kind of moment. She wouldn't have thought that it was high and that she could fall. She would just be sitting on there and thinking all of a sudden, oh crap, what have I done? And then she fell. Our next theory is that Rebecca died by suicide by jumping from the ship. 
CCTV footage does show Rebecca upset, and many thought it was from a breakup or something traumatic that had just happened to her. If what Tracy says about the three-way is true, Rebecca may have been upset and overwhelmed. These all may have been possible motives for suicide. Tracy claims Rebecca had contemplated suicide and that she wasn't as happy as everyone thought, and another friend did say that she was dealing with some underlying sadness in her life. Rebecca's parents claimed that she showed no signs of depression or suicidal thoughts. She had also planned an upcoming vacation with her family after receiving tickets for Disneyland Paris, so we can see that she's thinking of the future from that. Co-workers also said Rebecca was drinking in a bar and appeared happy the night of her disappearance. And this suicide theory is, again, what Tracy Medley believes to be what happened to Rebecca. Another theory is that Rebecca was sold into human trafficking and is actually alive today. This is believed because of the sighting of Rebecca in Italy, the credit card activity, and the Facebook password change. Cruise ships are hotbeds for criminal activity, and there have been accusations of other human traffickers on board ships and being responsible for people who have vanished. And most notably with that is Amy Bradley, who I believe we're going to be talking about next season or at some point later on. And our final theory is that Rebecca was murdered on board the ship and thrown overboard or hidden until the next port where her body could be disposed. Rebecca's parents feel this to be the case, and they believe she was sexually assaulted before being murdered and thrown overboard. They believe this is due to the video footage of Rebecca looking distressed and emotional. They also found Rebecca's shorts with that strange rip right in the crotch. And remember, Rebecca told her friends from home that she was worried she could be sexually assaulted or raped. Again, cruise ships are hotbeds for crime and many sexual assaults occur on board. So was she really in fear from someone in particular? Or did she maybe just know this information about cruise ships and she was more worried because of that? And with this theory, many wonder if Tracy's claim of a sexual encounter with Rebecca and Devin was actually consensual or if Rebecca was forced into it. This likely would have been Rebecca's first time being sexually intimate with a man as well. And this isn't so much a theory, but it is something we need to mention, and that is the possibility of Disney either tampering with CCTV footage to disguise the location of Rebecca's call or flat out lying about it to the Coriums. Disney claims footage was filmed on Deck 5 in a crew lounge and that she is seen walking in the direction of the crew pool, which is the same area they claim she was when she was swept overboard by this rogue wave. Being on the same deck seems to also be the explanation given as to why there isn't really additional footage. But the Liverpool Echo, another UK news outlet, says the footage is stamped with Deck 1, not Deck 5. If she was four decks below the crew lounge and pool area, there has to be more footage of her moving throughout the ship. And if Rebecca is on Deck 1, she would actually be walking in the direction of the ship's medical center. Rebecca's family and several members of parliament feel this adds to their theory of Rebecca being sexually assaulted and murdered. I also think it can add to the theory for suicide as well. Maybe she was just feeling so emotionally distraught, she thought maybe there was like crisis management at this medical center. Disney has also refused to say where all security cameras aboard this ship are, which they claim is for security purposes. So Del, what do you think could have happened to Rebecca? I believe that she committed suicide on this ship and that there's a massive cover-up happening in order to protect Disney and its reputation. This is all alleged, but these are the possible participants. 
First is the British police who won't provide information related to the case and won't answer release of information requests citing alleged confidential information. If that was the reason, why not just redact that part and release the rest of it? The next participant is the Bahamian police who from the start half-assed this investigation. Their investigator lied to Rebecca's parents about how long he investigated the boat and put no real effort into investigating. The only reason why he was there was because Disney registered the boat in the Bahamas. The last piece is Disney. Disney is very protective of its image. They strive to maintain the aura of happiness and this causes them to be blind. Unfortunately for Rebecca, Disney is allegedly turning a blind eye to a suicide. I don't think that Disney planned or caused Rebecca's death, but it has impeded the investigation of her death to the point of making it nearly impossible to find out what actually happened. What do you think happened, Jenny? We thought the Rafay case was hard to tell, but this is even harder. Um... I really don't have a definitive theory, I guess, for this case. None of it really makes sense, but then at the same time, everything kind of makes sense. I can see everything being the truth. There's no way, though, that I think it's a rogue wave that took her overboard. But I do think Melissa's theory about Rebecca climbing and just accidentally falling could be true. We know Rebecca was adventurous and she was athletic, so maybe she thought, you know, she's physically fit enough to do it. She's experienced enough to do it. But we also know she was drinking. So drinking and I think climbing up a wall really don't mix. And maybe that could have caused her to, you know, have even less inhibitions and think she could climb the wall. But then I also think Tracy's claim of suicide is plausible too. Tracy and another friend both said that Rebecca was depressed and they mentioned how Tracy and Rebecca had been fighting. Lots of people do get depressed because of relationships and contemplate suicide. And just because a lot of other people are saying that she seemed happy, that doesn't mean she was actually happy. But then my drawback for this is that none of her friends seem to corroborate this claim. I mean, you would think she has close friends from home. She's got other close friends on the ship, maybe she would tell more than just these two people. I think murder is probably the least believable in my opinion, but I also wouldn't rule that out. Maybe she was sexually assaulted by Devin and Tracy and they killed her to cover it up. Otherwise, I would say, you know, she was like sexually assaulted and murdered. I think that this would just be some kind of like crime of opportunity, really. I don't really know who else on the ship would do this to her. And I don't know if Disney would go as far to cover up a murder, but I 100% think they are hiding footage of her. And I think Melissa's claim of them hiding footage because of negligence is most likely. Whether that's negligence because she accidentally fell or she did purposely jump off. Security should have seen Rebecca on deck five climbing. Tracy also said Rebecca had been out about to jump off the boat the night before her disappearance too. But I do think Rebecca is on deck one in that CCTV footage. It does not look like a crew lounge at all. It looks like an area deep within that ship that no one is really supposed to be in other than crew members. The biggest thing is why hasn't her family been shown footage of where she was leading up to the phone call afterward? Why won't they release this phone call audio if it was taped? Why aren't the British authorities like you said, Dell, why aren't they releasing more information? What is this private personal information? Personal to who, really, other than Rebecca? And I do kind of wonder if they paid off the friend that she was on the phone with somehow because they've been pretty quiet. I heard in one article it was, they gave someone's name. I'm not going to say it because I only saw it in one article, so I kind of don't believe them necessarily. But where is she? Why isn't she saying more? I 
I really think the only reason why is maybe because Disney told her not to, or maybe the Coriums are telling her, you know, we, for sake of our privacy and respect, we don't want you to say something. I don't know. And I'm also really not sure what to make of this credit card charge and the Facebook password either. The credit card, I think, could be explained. Maybe she had like an automatic payment or something, or maybe a payment went through late. But then like, also, why isn't the credit card company telling them? She died. Like, it makes sense to give her family this information. The superintendent said that it wasn't suspicious circumstances, but I don't know, give her family that information. The report of the you know, incident and this credit card information. I just, I don't understand it. There's so many questions with this. So what do you think of Tracy's story in particular? I find Tracy's story very credible. At first, I thought this case could be a murder, but her story made me reconsider my theory. It wouldn't be impossible for Rebecca to feel so guilty about being promiscuous that she would take her own life. Tracy said that Rebecca was troubled and had considered suicide before. Tracy described Rebecca as not being the happy-go-lucky person that her family wanted to paint her as. Tracy stated, quote, I've spent six years reading bullshit claims from Rebecca's family that she was a fun-loving, never-sad athlete with no issues and a love for life, end quote. She continued by stating that the family was looking for others to blame. Tracy adds that the family was not okay with Rebecca being a lesbian, and that was also causing Rebecca some mental anguish. I have no reason to doubt Tracy's story. She has no incentive to lie, and she did try to protect Rebecca's privacy, but the family insisted on dragging her name through the mud. At that point, she decided to defend herself. I think that you might have just made me like reconsider some things a little bit because I have been like back and forth with Tracy, but that is a good point. Like she had no incentive to lie and she did try to respect Rebecca's privacy. She did speak to the Coriums and tell them her side of the story and she could have very easily gone public and said, yeah, she killed herself and we had sex beforehand. Like what a headline that would be. But she did. I mean, I guess she kind of did six years later. But I think that's a really good point that I didn't think about. And she does seem to care about Rebecca. I've seen people say she threw Rebecca under the bus and painted her in a bad light. But I don't think that's fair to say if Rebecca truly was feeling depressed and alone. And I'm not sure if Rebecca's friends have ever mentioned drug use, but that is something people can hide and easily lie about. Tracy says she gave the same story to police or the onboard security, which I do believe. And I'm sure Disney did their best to hide this since her story is of a sexual nature and it does go against the theory that they probably knew they were going to push. She was also let go by Disney after her contract ended and I can see that as she was telling the truth and they just wanted to do damage control either because she did mention sex or because, you know, she is attached to the Rebecca Corium case. People were familiar with it. It's just controversial to have her on the ship still. Like I said before, I do think sexual assault is plausible and I can see Tracy and Devin maybe coercing Rebecca into sex and Rebecca getting uncomfortable and freaking out rightfully so if that is what happened Uh, but there's nothing to prove that I'm sure Tracy knew that Rebecca hadn't been with a man before too and even if she Rebecca was initiating it I don't know I think you would kind of think maybe she'd be a little uncomfortable I don't know but a big question I have with this story of them all having sex in the cabin is where are Rebecca's clothes that she wore beforehand 
Did Tracy bring them back to Rebecca's cabin? Did Disney ask for them? Who knows? I think that there could be some DNA evidence on there that could maybe answer more questions. You know, if Roll had done his job, maybe we would have some more answers. So a big reason why there is so much mystery surrounding Rebecca's case is that it happened on a cruise ship. So let's take a closer look at the cruise line industry as a whole. In 2019, 30 million people sailed on a cruise. There are currently 278 ocean cruise line ships operating across 55 cruise companies. The last decade saw major growth in the cruise industry, and worldwide, the cruise industry took in $150 billion in revenue. Cruise ship companies claim their cruise vacations to be carefree paradises that are fun for the whole family, but that's not always the case. In the last 20 years, it's estimated 361 people worldwide, crew and passengers, have accidentally fallen or purposefully jumped overboard on cruises and ferries, with Carnival Cruise Lines having the most incidences. Carnival is also the largest cruise line and has high numbers of other crimes, including sexual assaults, which we'll get to in a second. But this 361 number includes people that died, people that survived, and missing persons. And accidents do obviously happen on cruise ships. People do dumb things. I saw a video of a girl who like climbed over her cruise balcony to get a picture. I know we live in a world where people just do dumb stuff, but the victims are not always at fault. And like I just said, sexual assaults and rapes are the most common crimes perpetrated on cruises. And it most often happens to passengers and the victims are usually minors. Lawyers encourage victims of sexual assaults aboard cruise ships to make their own reports to the FBI and to not rely on a cruise to do so. So everyone has, I guess, kind of a better idea of these statistics. Between July and September 2019, 35 sexual assaults on six different cruise lines were reported, which was a 67% increase from the same time in 2018. And though these numbers are generally low considering the number of people that do go on cruises, it is a rising number and we also need to take into account the number of people that aren't reporting sexual assaults or rapes as well. We did want to note that Royal Caribbean and Carnival Cruises, which are two of the biggest cruise lines, have RAIN certified staff and medical teams and RAIN I think is just a United States organization but it stands for the Rape Assault Incest National Network and they do a lot of advocacy work for survivors. Another common oddity on cruise ships is people going missing. More than 250 people disappeared in the last decade on a cruise, and one-third or as much as 50% of those cases were mysterious. A well-known case is that of 40-year-old Marianne Carver, who went missing from an Alaskan Royal Caribbean cruise in 2004. The cruise ship knew she was missing and never notified her family. The cruise line again said there was no security footage and staffers actually packed her belongings and never returned anything to her family. And her father, Marion's father, has actually worked very hard to hold cruise lines accountable. And we'll talk a little bit later about some work that he did to help that is in place now. But it is important to note that the FBI doesn't investigate these that often because of very little evidence that's usually found. 
end because these cruise ships claim suicide for a lot of these disappearances. They just say that people fell overboard. Another missing person from a cruise ship was 20-year-old Blake Kepley, and he also went missing from an Alaskan cruise. I guess I need to rethink going on an Alaskan cruise because three of these crimes we're talking about happened on an Alaskan cruise. Interesting. And Blake's family requested the captain review security footage, and they were told that was not possible. The odds of dying on a cruise ship are roughly 1 in 6.25 million. Some cruises now have infrared technology that alerts them when someone is falling off the ship, but many are still lacking this technology. Christy Manzanares was killed by her husband on another Alaskan-bound princess cruise, and this seemed to be a situation of domestic violence. George Smith went overboard on a European cruise in 2006 during his honeymoon. His body has never been found, so it wasn't able to be proven whether his death was a homicide or suicide or some type of accidental death. And not every death is a murder or has foul play involved. There was an investigation from a Florida news station, and they used the Freedom of Information Act to find reports of over 300 crimes being committed on cruises leaving Florida ports alone, despite only 78 being reported publicly. So there's no official law enforcement presence on these ships, but they do have some security personnel. And people really take advantage of this because, you know, there's supposed to be a carefree nature that's involved in cruises because it is vacation. And so you have a dangerous mixture of alcohol and being vulnerable because you are in a new place and you're not really aware of all your surroundings. Crimes on cruise ships often have confidentiality clauses as well. In 2010, the Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act was put into law, and this law sets security and safety requirements for most cruise ships that embark and disembark in the United States. The act mandates reporting missing persons and alleged criminal activities occurring on board to the FBI. Crime categories include homicide, suspicious deaths, missing U.S. nationals, kidnapping, assault with serious bodily injury, firing or tampering with a vessel, theft greater than $10,000, and sexual assault. And this wasn't used for Rebecca because she was not a U.S. national. This law sounds all fine and dandy and like it would really help, but there are a lot of gray areas with it, unfortunately. Sexual assault is not defined. There's punishment for kidnapping, but not false imprisonment, which could easily happen on a cruise ship. And low-level thefts are not included. A theft over $10,000. How often is that really happening on a cruise ship? And we mentioned Marion Carver's dad. He's done a lot of work in his life to make cruise ships safer. And he actually helped get this law to pass, which is pretty cool to see. But still little has really been done to improve safety on cruise ships. More people going on cruise ships, obviously more crime is going to be happening. It's just the statistics. Criminologist Dr. James Allen Fox has said that data shows major crime allegations are 25% fewer on cruise ships than on land. So in addition to all the criminal activity that happens on cruise ships, there was also some jurisdictional issues due to this incident taking place on international waters. Countries only have explicit sovereign control over their land and 12 nautical miles that extends out from their land. The United Nations Convention on the 
laws of the sea dictates that outside of those bounds, the open sea is free to any vessel. It also holds that the laws of any particular vessel is bound to in the open sea are the ones of the nation in which the vessel is registered. In this case, the, the vessel that Rebecca was on was registered to the Bahamas. This means that when a crime takes place on a vessel, a representative from that nation is sent to investigate irregardless of the nationality of the crime victim. There's also a concept of universal jurisdiction on open waters, which means any nation can investigate and bring charges, and this is typically used in serious crimes such as war crimes and genocide. As noted in a 60 Minutes Australia episode, they stated that Disney could have contacted Scotland Yard or U.S. officials to investigate Rebecca's case but they didn't. International waters, they do have a reputation for being lawless and the perfect place to commit a crime. You think of pirates and other things that you hear that happen in the open sea. And one security guard said that he never saw any convictions that came out of an investigation. Rebecca's case was discussed in the House of Commons by her hometown's member of parliament, Stephen Mosley, and he said that Disney was, quote, more interested in getting the ship back to sea than the case of a missing crew member, end quote. And he also said that it's super appalling that only one policeman from the Bahamas was called to investigate. And he said, quote, an authority internationally recognized as almost toothless. He said flag of convenience countries such as the Bahamas as the called in the shipping world shouldn't be left to conduct these kinds of investigations. The uneasiness is added on by the fact that places like the Bahamas are used by companies to register their vessels in tax-friendly environments, and these countries usually have no real ability to thoroughly investigate the crimes committed on any vessel registered with them. I definitely have to agree with him, and it makes me wonder, do these Like aside from the tax issues, I'm sure that's really the biggest draw for a lot of these companies to have their ships registered there. But I wonder if they do know that, you know, our ship is registered here and the Bahamian police like aren't really going to do a good job with it. So I think it's just a case of dumb luck for a lot of these companies. Like they come for the tax benefits and they stay because they know that they're not going to be held to account for any crimes that they may or may not cover up. We have to talk about the crew life. I saw a video of a girl. She's working on the Disney Wonder now actually and she does a tour of her cabin and it is so tiny. I don't understand how a threesome happened in this tiny ass cabin that two people are sharing. I guess Devin's roommate wasn't present when it happened, but it's so tiny. You need to see this. Crew members are living in tiny cabins that are usually below sea level. They're not getting nice balconies or even portholes like paying passengers are. They're in these tiny cabins for months on end and they're working six days a week, sometimes seven. Crew members, I've heard, usually don't spend a lot of time in their cabins, but instead in the mess halls and the crew lounge area. We know Rebecca really liked being in the crew lounge. And the Disney Wonder, for example, had a library, a gym, a game room, and more than what some people working on board have in their own home. So it's definitely you know, a draw for people. And there are lots of private spaces away from guests. Melissa said she was talking to Rebecca in a secret corridor. I think by that she just meant in a corridor that was just for crew members because they do need to get around the ship and the passengers shouldn't be allowed everywhere. I know on a lot of cruises, crew members are young people and young people want to party and have sex and, you know, there's alcohol everywhere on cruise ships. Those three combined, 
lead to a lot of craziness. And a lot of people are known to have secret relationships on board, and that was the case for the Disney Wonder. There's few places on a ship for crew members to really relax and fully be themselves. They also have to deal with really demanding guests. I know I'm a Disney person, we'll talk about that in a second, but I know at Disney there's so many entitled people that go there and I just feel so bad for the staff that has to deal with them. But another issue with crew members and crew life is that some companies do have shady hiring practices. Um, one security guard that was talking about his time on a cruise ship, he said he knew of people that lied on their applications and still made it through. There's also a lot of international staff on a cruise ship and there's different background check practices in different countries. It can affect someone getting hired or affect someone being able to get away with lying on their resume as well. I don't know if they're necessarily notorious for treating their staff unwell, but a lot of people that work at the Disney parks, especially Disney World in Orlando, they're not really paid living wages and a lot of them are in living in poverty. Some are living in hotels, they can't even afford a home, but then they're working for like the vacation capital of the world. Um, Many staff were laid off recently due to COVID-19 and there's been some controversy about that too. Disney is still kind of building things on property, but then they're laying other staff off. So it's just, it's kind of strange and it doesn't really sit well with a lot of people. I know I'm included. I also read some claims of the character performers having to wear communal underwear in their costumes because I guess there was like only a certain type of underwear that maybe wouldn't show or really went with the costume. It was part of the uniform. And how disgusting is that? That I think was in like the 90s and people were getting sick from that. So this, that's definitely just one example of Disney as a corporation putting profits over safety or cutting costs. But people are talking about this in regards to whether or not the theme park should be reopening during a pandemic, especially with cases going up right now. There's also been there's been numerous cases of people getting hurt or dying, employees or um, park goers due to cost-cutting measures or not being trained properly for whatever reason. So some of these examples are faulty repair and negligence led to a man's death on Big Thunder Mountain in Disneyland. He was a guest. This was in 2003 and his family claimed that corners were cut and his death resulted from that. In 2007, a worker died after falling from a restricted area on a ride in Animal Kingdom. OSHA fined Disney for safety violations and they also fined Disney for a stunt show not having proper safety equipment. And these are just a few examples of many. Like I said, there's Wikipedia pages dedicated to safety incidents at Disney. There's also other issues of, again, going back to the character performers, how much weight these costumes are and what kind of strain it's putting on them. And when we're talking about negligence in some way, whether it is putting profits over safety or just someone not doing their job right. Melissa said if it was 6am and they were doing their job and watching the front of the ship, someone must have seen her go over. Or if they didn't, they're covering up why they didn't. And this leads me to wonder if Disney knew they could get away with something like this easier in international waters if a security person really wasn't you know, on hand the morning she went overboard or whatever happened. So aside from the people that we mentioned that died due to Disney's negligence, others have died from 
I hate to say irresponsible behavior, but really doing some things that you shouldn't have done on a ride, like unbuckling your seatbelt and moving from ride vehicle to another ride vehicle. They do those warnings on roller coasters and all that for a reason. But then there are also some freak accidents and human error. Um, there was a monorail crash a few years back and they blamed that as, I think, human error. People have died from natural causes after going on a ride. A lot of people have had heart attacks. They didn't realize they had a heart condition and then the ride agitated it and they unfortunately passed away. And I don't know if I would consider this a freak accident or Disney not really being responsible, but a few years ago, there was a, unfortunately a toddler that died from an alligator attack in Walt Disney World too. People view Disney as this really safe and trustworthy place to vacation with your family. It's family friendly. Disney is like the best of the best with detail, service, all of that. And remember when John Ronson was interviewing staff on board, he talked to a waiter who said it's all about appearances and everything is a show for the guests. And he claimed that nothing happened to Rebecca and that that was the answer he had to give because of Disney and honestly maybe even because like they're always watching too I didn't even think about that when I was doing some research I found a Florida law firm that specialized in cruise ship um cruise ship lawsuits and they said no victim should ever forget the financial interest of the cruise line in protecting its image and reputation the industry spends a tremendous amount of money promoting the image of a carefree vacation full of magical moments it is simply not in their best interest to report every claim or instance of sexual violence, rape, or assault. So as much as I know like it would bring some revenue loss and a risk of a scandal, I feel like in the long run, like just saying Rebecca, if they have footage of her committing suicide, if they admitted to that, and they had initially said from the start, you know, she unfortunately died by suicide and this is very sad. I feel like people, that wouldn't really stop people from going. I don't know. What do you think? I agree. And in some cases, the alleged cover-up is worse than the crime. Disney could have taken the route of saying that Rebecca has some mental health problems and they missed the warning signs. They could have stated that they're now implementing a mental health awareness protocol for the staff in the future. It would not have taken away this tragedy, but it would have been a better answer. It wouldn't have removed the pain for the Coriums, but it would have given them some answers about what happened. They would have had some type of closure. I agree 100%. And I kind of wonder if this were to, we say this like every week, I feel like, but if this happened in 2020, I wonder if that would be their response. Because I feel like they could come out on top somehow, you know, we're recognizing mental health as an issue. Like you said, we're going to implement these programs for our staff. Maybe they would even like make a donation to like a mental health hotline or an advocacy group or something like that. Because then I think people would really be like, wow, you know, they're being proactive. Or even if she did accidentally fall, because she was climbing or whatever, you know, they can say, we're going to implement better security practices, we're going to implement better guardrail safety precautions, I don't know, something like that. That's what people appreciate. A lot of consumers do appreciate that a company that's doing something. I wanted to leave everyone with a quote that Rebecca's friend Melissa says in the Guardian interview. She says, quote, Bex made hundreds of people happy. The passengers loved her. They all loved her. You'd think Disney would give something back. They owe it to her to find out what happened. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think happened to Rebecca Coriam. 
and join us next week for a notorious wrongful conviction case out of Virginia. Make sure you click the subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Janine Dell signing off. Stay safe.